Talk, the podcast that covers the news and reviews of the Star Wars television projects. Today, we got some official news regarding the casting and directing of The Mandalorian to discuss. We will also discuss the announcement of the Cassian Andor live-action series that is coming to us. Then we will continue our review of Star Wars Resistance. And John is here to help me with all of this. John, how are you doing? Feeling good. Uh, we only do these every few weeks right now, so mm-hmm. lots happen, a lot to cover. So I, I think there'll be uh, a few fun things to bat around with all the announcements. Yeah, in addition to John Favreau just giving us more and more teases and just uh, releasing some different things regarding The Mandalorian, Bob Igor announced last week <laughs> that we, yeah, Igor, Igor, Bob Igor uh, announces last week that there is going to be a Cassian Andor live action series. Yes. And that Diego Luna is reprising his role as the beloved rebel, or I hope a beloved rebel, because uh, he really grew on me. Okay. So what do you think about this news for the live action series revolving around Cassian? Uh, I'll take whatever they're willing to put out. Um, I like the era, right? The, the classic trilogy era is always going to be what's closest to my heart. So Rogue One was a big win. I really enjoyed yeah. that movie. Um, they didn't have a whole lot of time to really develop the characters. So being able to transition that into a long format mm-hmm. uh, type of presentation where we can get a little bit more about you know, really what was the tragedy that led him towards the rebellion and just, you know, what's it like to have to be sort of the, the dark side of the good guys, right? That was always the, the unique aspect of his character was that he was willing to do bad things for the greater good. Mm -hmm. You didn't get a whole lot of that in the original trilogy because it was just, you know, archetypal good guys versus archetypal bad guys. (laughs) And even the guys that were in the middle were either truly good or truly bad. It was, there wasn't any real gray area. So television especially you know well-funded prestige television is the perfect place to play in the gray and that's where his character could really shine so i'll take it yeah and i was uh and i was kind of interested because it seems like that they were uh doing some you know uh, like behind the scenes marketing for uh cassian so i went to disneyland a couple weeks back Mm -hmm. and while i was there i visited this place called the void Mm -hmm. i don't know if you ever heard of that but it's basically this uh, virtual reality experience that's based uh they have a thing with star wars and the character that was heading everything up that's you know getting you involved into the mission and everything was cassian right and so i'm just so i was wondering okay why you know why did they choose him he's a great character but that just seems um you know odd to use that type of character and then i see oh well nice see now that it's all a part of disney's disney's plan here to (laughs) kind of market um, into this live action series. I was super interested in this character from the get go because he, like you said, he's this darker, um, he's willing to do, you know, morally questioning things for the greater good. Uh, We see that in his very first scene ever um, in Rogue One. And then he makes a lot of these comments to Jin about how he's, basically willing to do everything or do anything for the resistance um rebellion to the oh yeah the rebellion the resistance we'll get into not the quite resistance there later yet <laughs> but he's willing to do anything um i think diego luna was amazing uh in this part uh and i'm just super fascinated to see what he has in store for us for a live action series yeah 
Yeah. Uh, we have almost nothing to go on at this point other than if he's in it and he's yeah. reprising his role, then we know the basic era. We know basically mm -hmm. his trajectory because there's a little bit more of that alluded to in some of the books and stuff too. So we kind of have the broad framework of what this mm -hmm. show will encompass. And uh, it's the era of Star Wars that I really love dabbling in. And yeah. I that's, that's kind of why I like Solo too, is because we're pushing closer and closer um, from the two poles of like the prequel and the classic trilogy. Mm -hmm. You know, we're starting to fill in that uh, 18, 20 year period there right. where we don't have a whole lot of, you know, real right. meaty material. We had, um, rebels, which is kind yeah. of a, a great backdrop for this too, right? Like it introduced a, yeah. a tapestry of characters and sort of filled in some of the blanks on kind of the different political factions or the different mm -hmm. aspects of the rebellion that are starting to form. Um, so this can just continue to build on what they already started to establish in rebels and do it in a slightly more, like PG 13 young adult type way that maybe rebels couldn't quite push into. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's no downside as far as I'm concerned. This is a show I will be very interested to see. Well, a lot happened in that time period. I mean, we, as far as viewers, we were introduced into the rebellion towards the end, right? Like we get the yeah. last few years with, <laughs> uh, with Luke being introduced into the rebellion. Uh, and then we just kind of see their success. And then we, you know, miss a good portion of time and then we come back and now all of a sudden there's a resistance and mm -hmm. first order and all this stuff. But a lot happens in, uh, before A New Hope and uh, Rebels explores a lot of that. But I'm I'm super excited to see that, that we're going to get more of that because mm -hmm. I think that's I think that's what a lot of fans want. A lot of fans are curious as to what's happening, uh, what built up to the events that we saw um, in A New Hope. Because, I mean, we get episode three, but once again, you have a long time yeah, period in between. Period. The nice thing uh, about this show is that it's already got kind of the perfect finale. We right. know that the character does go out in a blaze of glory, literally. <laughs> right. um, so we, we understand what it's building towards and we understand the tragedy of it all, but also, you know, the sacrifice and the fact that when it came right down to it, he took the leap of faith and pushed forward with the impossible task to get the rebellion kind of over the finishing line with the, the death star. So we already know that it builds to a fantastic climax that then, you know, frames the entire classic trilogy. So it, it already has a great ending. <laughs> All you need right. to do is build so much more depth into the character that now when we go mm -hmm. back and watch rogue one, we are seeing the context of everything yeah. that the show provides us when we watch Rogue One, and that's going to make it a richer experience. So this is going to be a win always around. Oh, yeah. It's going to just continue to add more uh, texture, <laughs> you know, to the mm -hmm. universe and what we've already seen on the big screen. Yeah, and there's a quote that uh, that Cassian says in Rogue One, and, and he's talking to Jen, and he says something about, oh, so the rebellion is real to you now, or he mm -hmm. makes some sort of right. comment about the rebellion becoming real to her once she figures out what all is happening. Um, and I am really looking forward to, and I, I'm hopeful that we get to see that moment for Cassian where the rebellion becomes real for him and kind of see him, uh, you know, start that process because he is such a deep character and there's so much that comes from him and so much that he has to offer. Uh, and you know, I'm, I'm super excited. I'm super excited for these things and the stuff that Disney plus is going to give us. We sure, got a yeah. name for the streaming service now. Yeah. It's all um, coming together. If they're starting their marketing push, if they're starting to brand the thing, we know that we're not too far out. So 2019 right. is going to be the, the big year. That's really going to hopefully reestablish star Wars and 
put, yeah. put the properties forward that is really going to hopefully galvanize the fan base. Right. I, I, I haven't heard any, um, real like negative comments from anyone who's kind of looking into what the Mandalorian's going to bring. And now this new show, everyone seems really hyped. So I feel like moving star Wars into television and giving people a much broader offering and covering you know, all the different time frames of the, the various sagas by giving people a little bit of everything and mm-hmm. just a, a broader, more, uh, sort of like deep format for them to explore and binge. Um, seems like this might be the winning formula. This might've been what Lucasfilm couldn't have anticipated back in 2013, mm-hmm. you know, like right. you, there would be star Wars film fatigue and the fans would get like super cranky. They couldn't have seen any of that coming, but it looks like this is inoculating all that because there's a little yeah. something for everyone. Now we got our kids covered. Yeah. We got the old timers covered with classic trilogy stuff. We got mm-hmm. stuff that's, you know, continuing to push the saga now out into episode nine and continuing to explore what happens after Jedi. So we we've got, everything now. So who can't yeah. be happy about this? <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that, that we knew from the very get go that the Mandalorian was more of this experiment. Like no, no one was doubting that it was going to be this, you know, phenomenal show and that Disney was putting, um, a lot of, yeah, you know, they're, time they're backing and effort into yes, this. Right. Uh, but you know, they were also w- had a plan. I think the plan was, you know, let's see what we can do in live action. Let's start off with something like this. And, uh, you know, let's continue to explore these live action things. So I'm even more excited to just see what Disney's going to offer with this streaming service and what we're going to get in the future as far as fans. And, you know, this could, uh, some people are saying that this may be kind of to help the time in between trilogies because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we have the uh, uh, series is that a series of films that are going to be in production eventually. Right. They kind of have the green light. But, you know, no one really knows when those are going to come out. Um, and so maybe the live action streaming service is kind of a way to help us with uh, with that wait time. I think it is part of the strategy. If you notice when Lucasfilm did their like, let's pull back, let's put everything on hiatus and reevaluate mm-hmm. and actually come up with an actual plan. Right. We can't just roll these out as movies and assume they're always going to be successful. There has to be a better foundation, a better strategy for how we're developing our properties. When they sat down and actually sorted that out, look what came of it. They said, okay, all the, all the trilogies that we've talked about, they're still on. We need (laughs) the big tent pole, you know, really like high impact blockbuster saga type movies to keep star Wars relevant and to establish, you know, the new areas of the universe and the new timeframes, the new, Mm -hmm. you know, the new core of all the different, uh, yeah, just areas of the universe that they want to explore, but then let's feather that out into television. Let's take what we establish in these bigger saga epics, and then let's play around in the fringes on television and tell some really good meaty stories in long format. And then that way we've got everything. We're not burning people out by trying to put out two movies a year. We're keeping star Wars special. The theatrical spectacle of it continues to be these sagas, not necessarily the Skywalker yeah. saga, but whatever Ryan Johnson's working on, whatever the uh, Game of Thrones guys are going to be working on, those are going to be episodic type fare where there's going to be a few mm-hmm. movies that uh, paint a, a new, fresh picture of a aspect of the galaxy. So those yeah. are going to be the new sandboxes that all of the future television shows are going to be playing in. And so you can see that the fact that they kept all of that moving full steam ahead means that they, they know mm-hmm. that that's kind of the linchpin. It's all going to hang on having those fresh infusions of parts of the galaxy to explore, but then TV, man, you know, we oh, can, yeah. we, we can go anywhere we want with TV and people are going to love it. 
So yeah, this, this seems like it is a much better formula for not burning out fans, not polarizing fans and not diluting what star Wars is supposed to be, which is super duper mm-hmm. special on the big screen, but then right. let everyone just, um, put their imaginations to work, give them mm-hmm. all of the other supplemental media so that they can continue to delve into it and absorb as much as they can stomach. That's where TV fits in. It's more like the comic book fair where you have a continuous stream of new stories coming out or the novels or whatever. It's just the latest poison, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. that Lucasfilm can offer the fan base, um, that doesn't, uh, veer into what keeps the movie special. We're not, we're not going to mess with that formula anymore. We're just going to do the big ones. Yeah. And and they, I like, we're assuming that that's what they've announced at this point. Yes. Now, as things stabilize and maybe, you know, they have a really winning script and maybe you and McGregor says, I won't do TV, but I will do the Obi-Wan movie. Like, I'm not saying right. that they're going to stick rigidly to this and we're never going to get another like star Wars story or some other type of star Wars, big screen fair, but mm-hmm. it looks like that's not their focus right now. Their focus is yeah. let's build out our galaxy on the big screen and then let's play with it on television. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, Bob Iger is smart. Like mm-hmm. this guy, he's uh, he's smart. Kathleen Kennedy's smart. They know what they're doing as far as these things. Uh, have they made some mistakes along the way? Some may say yes, uh, but this shows that they're you know trying to uh, just see what comes their way. And I think that if, like you said, if they get a good script, I don't think they're going to be like, ah, we got away because we don't want to fatigue our fans out. Mm-hmm. I think that if they get a killer script, there's like, well. Yeah, let's do this. Or if they get Ewan McGregor, you know, uh, if maybe they start leaning to an Obi-Wan show and he's just like, you know what? I don't want to commit to that, but I will do a movie. Then I think that um, that they'll adjust accordingly because I don't think that they're going to do an Obi-Wan anything, anything live action Obi-Wan without him. No, I no, think they can't. That, they can't. They've exactly already established right. him as the quintessential living Obi-Wan, right? Like there, <laughs> if he is alive and working. There's no yeah. one else that can embody that role. Um, yeah. yeah. And the nice thing is you and McGregor, we already know he's game for prestige TV. He yes. did Fargo. He did really great in that. He's done other mm-hmm. stuff. So we know that he's just like a, a team player, like he'll get on oh, board. Yeah. And, and I think he would probably love to explore 10 hours of television as Obi-Wan. Mm-hmm. We don't know, you know, maybe who, who knows when we'll actually start getting announcements on any of this stuff, but these television announcements are coming kind of fast and furious. So I wouldn't doubt that, uh, Lucasfilm is, is seriously considering pivoting what they were hoping to do with solo and with Mm Obi-Wan and maybe parlaying those like the whole bounty hunter stuff, which could even play into this series too. Yeah. Like taking a lot of maybe just the ideas that were coming up in the scripts and all of the stuff that maybe they thought were worth exploring on the big screen they've got all of that rich material that they can probably repurpose and start reformulating into television ventures and they might just be a better fit for it. And then you don't have to worry about, you know, the backlash of a bad opening weekend or whatever, crippling your production. Mm -hmm. You know, you can win people over on episode two or three. It doesn't all have to be, you know, like a all or nothing proposition, like a a big screen movie is. So this is good. This makes me very happy. uh, Not only just for the future of star Wars, but also to be trying to position our podcast as a, resource specifically for TV fair. They're going to give us an unending supply of things to talk about. So win, win, win. Yeah, it's, it's a total win. And speaking of official announcements coming from Lucasfilm, we have some official ones regarding the Mandalorian. Uh, it was rumored before that Pedro Pascal was going to be the front runner for this show. Um, and 
Lucasfilm announces, yes, Pedro Pascal has a part in this show. Mm -hmm. uh, they didn't really say whether or not he is the Mandalorian. Um, I think it's safe to semi-speculate yeah. that he probably is. He's a pretty big um, get to not be the lead. Exactly. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and, and the only other casting that they officially announced was Gina Carano, who's in things like Deadpool. She's right, right. a former uh, uh a professional athlete and while she's you know a big name in the action verse right now pedro pascal this guy's you know oscar worthy right. been in amazing things uh from game of thrones to uh kingsman uh the golden circle which he was just phenomenal in both those this is a big pickup for him oh you're uh, narcos yeah narcos that's what know. i was gonna say you're missing the biggest piece right. of the puzzle here if you've seen narcos and you see his work on that show mm -hmm. you understand why he would be such a perfect casting for what we think the Mandalorian is yes. supposed to be. Yep. Um, he plays a dark sort of anti-hero, you know, he's a good guy at his core, but again, mm -hmm. he's, he's the one that's willing to walk that line and break the rules when he thinks he's right. And you know, right. he's, he's, yeah, he's got some grit, some gravitas and just sort of like a dark, quiet nature, you know, a sort of a, mm -hmm. a brooding sensibility that seems like that rogue outsider that the Mandalorian is supposed to be. So yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah. uh, I'm I'm okay with this. I I got right. I got high marks on this casting. Are you like me and collect weird-looking Funko Pop figurines? Well, Funko has released their Star Wars holiday line of pops just in time for Black Friday. These pops are oddly adorable and need to be in every collector's display. Some pops include Santa Yoda, R2D2 reindeer, and Chewie decorated with lights. To see the full list, follow the link in our episode description at StarWarsTVTalk.com. Right from the get-go, we have minority casting in Pedro Pascal, and then we have a woman casting that's, a, that's reportedly, I don't think it's been officially announced that Gina is going to play a part, and then just the directors. Mm -hmm. I mean, the directors that have been announced are, they're so diverse, and they are so well-saturated in this industry. I mean, we have Dave Filoni, that I think everyone knew was going to play some part in right, this. Right. Uh, because, we knew you know, this was kind of the next step for Dave Filoni. Yep. A lot of people have been predicting that, and it it makes perfect sense. This yeah. is yeah, this is them uh, sort of building out his skill set so that he can take mm -hmm. the reins of more productions in the future that aren't just animation of based. Course. Yeah, so this is this is great because we want Dave Filoni in the mix on pretty much everything Star Wars TV because mm -hmm. he uh, he's sort of the the torchbearer for Lucas and oh yeah, and some of the, some of his sensibilities. So. Uh, yeah, great, uh, great hire there. No, I mean, he's, he's already hired, but yeah, yeah. great, great to position him, uh, as one of the, I think he's directing the premiere, right? He's the first one. I, I believe so. Right. Uh, I don't know if that's been officially announced, but I think it's very heavily speculated, especially since we see him and a lot of the background pictures with Favreau on yeah. set and these things. So I would assume that he's, um, I think he's going to be, you know, a, uh, multi-episode director. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think, yes, I think he's going to be, he's that, a, he's a pace pilot. car. He's a pace car because mm -hmm. he already has a, a wealth of information about kind of star Wars lore and the, mm -hmm. the world because he already understands it. He is the one that likely during future seasons, or maybe if they do like the half season break or, you know, depending on how they mm -hmm. structure it, whenever they need to like start a new phase of the show or a new arc, that's kind of where he would come in and he would kind of, you know, line up all the pieces and get everything moving in the right direction. And then you bring in other directors to do the, you know, the, the serialized episodes that follow that. Um, that's kind of the role that I see him in. So it would make sense if he was involved in the premiere. Um, mm -hmm. and especially under the, the tutelage of Favreau, like what a, what a dream team to have kind of yeah. like, I, I don't know if Favreau's, uh, officially considered 
co-director, but it seems mm-hmm. like they're collaborating in a very close way on this. And that's, what's really exciting is that one of them is bringing a lot of the, um, you know, the deep knowledge of the universe to play. And the other one has the big screen, um, action movie or fantasy movie cred, you know, who really understands how to produce a really like tight focused, fantastically exciting episode. Uh, you've got both of those talents really pooling everything they've got into the premiere. I think that's going to be a fantastic way to kick off the show. Yeah. And as far as the directors announced, is there any one particular other than Dave Filoni that you are just really interested in what they're going to bring to the table? Um, it was interesting to see Bryce Dallas Howard in the mix. Uh, I don't really follow her career that closely. Um, Mm. so I don't know if she's already done some directing or if this is maybe her, her opportunity here. Uh, my, my headcanon would say that, uh, her dad agreed to take on <laughs> solo <Yeah. laughs> under the condition that, you know, maybe there, maybe there's a spot somewhere for, for his daughter. Yeah. Who's who he's convinced is a fantastic director in the making. Uh, so I'm, mm-hmm. you know, who knows, who knows how that came to be, but I mean, it's not like she doesn't have her own right. presence in Hollywood and her own career. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't think she yeah. needs her dad to open doors, but for whatever reason, she's going to be doing the Mandalorian and because they've already slotted which episodes each one's working on. Um, Mm -hmm. we have to assume that the creative team thinks that she can bring something particularly interesting to that episode. So when it drops, I'm going to be watching the episode and saying thematically, what was it that they thought Bryce Dallas Howard was going to be able to excel at with it? So that's, that's the unanswered question with her, but I I just want to see what she can do because I, I had no uh, context for her as a director. Yeah. And I, I've heard that she directed, a documentary or something along those lines um, in, in more recent years, but I mm-hmm. don't think she's really, you know, been uh, really directing anything else. I mean, maybe some shorts that no one's yeah. ever heard of at this point. Uh, but I also wonder if she's bringing something to the table, both directorially and, you know, making an, maybe making an acting appearance in the show. Nah, uh, no. I'd be very curious to see something like that. No, I'll tell you why. Uh, I'll tell you why. And you know what? I could be wrong. I don't know what's going on, but if, her hope is to establish herself as a director. She's mm-hmm. not going to cheapen that by also being on screen, right? Like it's she's going to pour yeah. herself into the directing role and it's just going to be a feather in her cap purely as a behind the scenes project, you know, resume item. It's not, mm-hmm. it, it just, it, it would totally cheapen it <laughs> if she was also yeah. there. Like, it's like, oh, you hire her for the show and you get a two for one with Bryce Dallas Howard. She'll also come and direct your episode if she's in it kind of a thing. Like that's, yeah. that just doesn't seem to say what I'm assuming she wants to say, which is, Hey, I'm a capable director. Look what I can do. It has nothing yeah. to do with me, the actress. It has everything to do with me, the protege of my father, who's, you know, witnessed some of the best films being made growing up. And I've just absorbed all of that, you know, wonderful filmmaking mm-hmm. technique. And I'm, you know, I'm here, I'm a force ready to deliver. I think that's what she wants to say. Yeah. And I, oh, something that's really interesting to me as far as directing is, uh, the, the choice to bring in, uh, Taika Waititi who mm-hmm. directed Thor Ragnarok because <laughs> which was a fantastic movie. I just want to put yeah. that out there to start that. That was the most entertained I've been at a Marvel movie in a long time. Like the they're all, here. they're all great from like, you know, an adventure action, you know, fantasy yeah. standpoint, but it, it gen genuinely had some solid, solid. Laughs. Oh yes. <laughs> and, and I think that it's safe to say that people were starting to get sick of the Thor movies. Mm, um, yeah. there was a little bit of overkill with those in particular, or at least they were kind of, you know, the ugly stepchild of the movies. Yeah. This is actually um, the only one that I would say I really enjoyed of the Thor. Movies. Uh, yeah. yeah. It, it, to me, it's the only one that I've watched multiple times. Right. 
uh, the other ones I've kind of watched and, you know, put on the back, like, okay, those are fine. They yeah, have you need place. it. You need it to fill in the plot points, you know, to lead up to yep. the Avengers, but not much else. <laughs> yep. But yeah, no, this uh, but, was a fun ride for sure. Yeah. And, and the directing, I feel like that it was the most cut, co- one of the most colorful, mm-hmm. uh, even Marvel movies, I dare say, one of the most colorful Marvel movies. Uh, it looked amazing. Mm-hmm. It was fun to look at. Uh, and so I'm very interested to see if he's going to have some sort of, uh, you know, heavy, uh, you know, directing challenge to uh, take us to a, maybe a planet that's super colorful or just whatever it is, maybe out in space. Uh, but I'm curious to see what he can bring to the table as far as that. Uh, mm-hmm. because you know, a lot of people are just like, oh, so they're going to have a, you know, a comedy episode. And I'm like, well, no, no. he can do more than just right. comedy. He's <laughs> yes. a really talented director. This, this person is extremely talented. Yeah. Thor Ragnarok for uh, all the jokes was also a really well-paced and mm-hmm. well-executed just adventure movie too, in its own right. right. Um, and again, this is, this gets back to the big question. We know that Favreau had been doing the broad strokes of the overall season story for the show. Mm -hmm. We know that he's been working on that for a while. So we know that's very far down the road. They're ramping up production. They know the story. They know, you know, how it's going to be broken out into the episodes. So if they're lining up directors that we know have a certain flair for a certain kind Mm -hmm. of episode or movie, why did they do that? Did they hire them so that they could lean into those particular strengths? Or is it because Mm -hmm. those directors said, you know what? I want to change a pace. I want to, you know, go from something that's a little bit more like bubble gummy and funny, like Thor Mm -hmm. and maybe get a little grittier. Like maybe the director pitched them on the idea that they want to get outside of the wheelhouse on this. Who knows? We won't know till we see the episode, but if this does happen to be the more, you know, jovial, um, Marvel esque (laughs) episode of, uh, Mandalorian, then we'll understand why they felt comfortable handing right. that material to him. Yeah, and I and I don't think that Favreau or because uh, I think Filoni is on as a producer as well. Uh, I don't think that any of those decisions that are being made, I don't think they're just going to give this to a TD because they're like, oh, we want a really funny episode that has no context within mm-hmm. the greater story. Uh, I think that if it is going to be very comedic base there's a reason for that uh like you said i think that there's going to be something in the story that makes it make sense sure uh i i don't think it's just going to be this oh let's have a filler comedy episode right right. Um, the other side of this is even though we're pigeonholing each of these directors for kind of like the one breakout hit that everybody Mm -hmm. knows right that doesn't mean that people in the industry don't recognize their other strengths. Like they, they have a wealth of directing credits that people could look at and say, Oh, they have a strength in this regard, or they really delivered Mm -hmm. something cool, you know, in this totally other genre. So even though we're looking at it and saying, Oh, okay, well they obviously want to do a Thor type of episode. Well, that's, that's a pretty simplistic reading. You know, when you hire someone to helm a million dollar episode, basically, (laughs) you know, or 10, what are they putting into this? A hundred million dollars into the show? Yeah. I think so it's each like episode, million. yeah. So each episode is roughly a $10 million budget. If they're putting yeah, someone in to helm that scale of a production, they're not just off the cuff saying, oh, well, we want a funny director. You know, they're right, saying yeah. we want the best of the best, the most capable Absolutely. guys working that can just bring it across the board. You know, we need, yeah. we need the pathos. We need the heavy moments. And we also need, you know, some humor. We want someone that can run the gamut. And that's what yeah. these directors hopefully all are. Bryce Dallas yeah. Howard, again, being the wild card as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. And we have to think back at Steven Spielberg. I mean, this guy has a breakout movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then everyone just thinks, oh, let's just pinpoint him to all of that genre. And then he comes out with these really emotional, uh, c- 
completely different from his first film and then going just back and forth, helping out on Indiana Jones, bringing all this, uh, his involvement, even with Star Wars. But, uh, you know, I think people, Good, if social yeah. media and media things said, would have said the same thing about Steven Spielberg right. in this instance that hit the beginning of his career. The so. truth is good directors are good storytellers and you can tell lots of different yep. kinds of stories. They don't always have oh, yeah. to be the exact same tone and, and beats. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, yeah, we, we have nothing to work on other than these guys' names right now, but I'm confident that they are not handing out these jobs to anyone that they don't feel is a hundred percent capable. Are you like me and cannot get enough of J.K. Rowling's Wizarding World? Well, Potterwise is a real geeks podcast that overanalyzes everything about the Wizarding World that we all secretly want to live in. This show is out just in time for the release of Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald, and you can find it wherever you get podcasts or at realgeeks.net slash shows. That is R-E-E-L geeks dot net slash shows. I think it's an understatement to say that we are excited about the Mandalorian (laughs) and all things happening in television. Uh, But right now, I think that I am unexpectedly (laughs) excited about this show called Star Wars Resistance. Did you have fun with these last few episodes? Uh, The the last one in particular. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Episode seven. um, What was that one called? I can't even think. I think officially it's number six. It looks like they're taking the the one hour premiere and that's considered two episodes. So I think we're officially ending on six tonight. Okay. Well, the, yeah. So that's, we don't uh, confuse the audience. So our recap of what's happened so far, we have uh, Kaz continuing his struggle and balancing his mission as a spy and laying low. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nico discovers some com links and then takes things too literally (laughs) again. And hilarity Uh, ensues. Captain Doza becomes uber conservative with the things that's happening on Colossus, has meetings with the First Order. The First Order, they seem to be using the raids to their advantage, and we get a Kylo Ren shout out, and Kaz gives his first report to Poe. A gold stormtrooper appears that I didn't see coming, (laughs) Um, and then Poe returns. Right. Yeah, we had a red kind of like pilot um, First Order yeah. Uniform too in one of the previous episodes. Yeah, there is mm-hmm. they're trying to differentiate the actual like speaking first order yes. characters by giving them special uniforms, which is a very anime thing and, mm-hmm. and it's working. I'm liking it. I I, yeah. I thought it was fun when we saw the gold or copper well, guy too. Yeah. Well, whenever I saw the preview, because uh he was in the preview, mm-hmm. but when I saw it, I thought it was Phasma because right. uh he's he's shown, you know, like shooting at people, and so I thought that the gold was just things reflecting off yeah, of yeah. Phasma's suit, yeah. and then I realized, oh, this is actually a new character. Um yeah, so And they said he's a commander, that, you know, so maybe they're establishing that in the first order certain ranks get certain colors. I know that Phasma, yeah. there's a whole backstory for why she's mm-hmm. got her own like self fashioned metallic uniform, mm-hmm. but uh, maybe they're trying to branch out. Well, sell a few toys in the process. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. But yes, he was uh, referred to as a commander. That's what differentiated him from just your rank and file troopers. Yeah. Right. And and there's and there's something a little more menacing and threatening about someone you know in colors. Uh, it could mean that maybe they were able to pick their own colors because they have enough like you know cred uh, battle points yeah, or exactly. cred and those type of things. Well, that's basically uh, with, what it was with Phasma. Exactly. So they're saying that, yeah, that might just be the the trend in the first order ranks is if you get to a certain point where people can't question you, you can kind of go off yeah. script and make yourself yeah. stand out a bit. Yeah. Uh, so in these three episodes, what works for you and what doesn't work? What works and what doesn't work? Well, a lot was working. 
The first mm-hmm. few episodes, there was a whole lot of world build. There was a whole lot of world building, a whole lot of mm-hmm. setting the table, right? Introducing characters, getting people where they need to be. Um, yeah, just painting the world out. Um, yeah. These few episodes, we had our typical kind of like standalone episodic adventures, but I yep. felt like the show started to get a little bit more comfortable. Like it was a little more sure-footed in its storytelling. Mm-hmm. So that was working. Um, they toned down a little bit of sort of the obnoxiously um, bumbling nature of Kaz. He's still yeah. totally incompetent at everything other than being a pilot. That much we know, yes. but they didn't, they didn't beat us over the head with it quite as much as the first few episodes. So either they're intentionally trying to show that there's some growth there and he's starting to, you know, perform at a little bit higher level than when he first arrived on Colossus. Maybe that's intentional or maybe it's just them saying, eh, maybe we don't need to make him quite so annoying. I don't know what it is, but yeah. uh, Kaz wasn't annoying me quite as much as he was the first few mm-hmm. episodes. Uh, otherwise there, there was just a lot working. There was a lot that felt very star Warsy. Uh, we, yeah. we get some X-Wing action. We get stormtroopers uh, firing stun beams, which is always fun because it, mm-hmm. it makes no sense why a beam would come right. in a circle <laughs> and, and travel so ridiculously slow that you can yeah. duck out of the way of it. Like there, there's a lot of just, yeah, classic Star Wars imagery in the show mm-hmm. right now and, and scenarios. Uh, yeah, yeah, just dodging your laser beam or <laughs> dodging your laser blasts. We're getting more of that kind of stuff, which. It's just fun. It's a lot of fun. And, right. you know, running, running away from uh, monkey. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the monkeys. Salacious, I hate monkeys. Yeah, uh, <laughs> mutant salacious crumbs. Uh, yeah. So uh. fun. A lot of imaginative stuff. A lot of new characters. The, uh, the guys that work in the basement, the, the weird turtle creatures. Mm-hmm. That was very charming. There's just, there's just yeah. a lot of creativity being funneled into the show right now. And it's, it's starting to make the world pop a bit more than the first yeah. few episodes. So, yeah, yeah, and, well, and I like I like what you said that it kind of feels it's starting to feel more like you know the older Star Wars, yeah. um, and the thing that stuck out to me were these new creatures because that was like you know maybe one of the more captivating things for the audience back in the seventies and eighties when they went and they mm-hmm. watched Star Wars. There's these weird, yeah. you know, what what's this guy in the cantina? Right. What's he doing? Why is he playing that weird flute thing? Like all these sort of <laughs> things, and so having these weird mutated things, having these monkeys. The creature I hate and Poe, uh, you know, hating them. I hate monkeys. <laughs> uh, I just all those things worked for me as well. Um, if something didn't work, uh, I mean, I still feel like that I haven't personally received enough time in the cockpit with some of these characters sure. because you know I was kind of under the impression that that's what a heavy base of the show was, um, and it still could be, and we just we're just not there yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if so, that's just me being really, really nitpicky. Um, going into the show, I think with Kaz, he even grew on me. Uh, and I don't know if they dialed down the comedy or if he's like a friend who is a little obnoxious and you just get used to yeah, him after exactly, spending yes. a little bit of time with them. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you start to become immune to it after a little while. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, you know, those things all worked. But, you know, speaking of Kaz, the guy finally gets to do his job. Mm-hmm, like yeah. he, he finally gets to spy. <laughs> he gets to spy on, uh, you know, in the high tower. He gets to spy on, on. Uh, I'm drawing a blank on the captain's name. Uh, Captain Doza. He gets to spy right. on Captain Doza. Finds out. Oh wait, the First Order really is having some influence on here. Um, then it's revealed that there is a resistance spy somewhere involved in Colossus. Uh, and so yeah, he gets to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so. How do you think this character of Kaz is capturing the attention of the younger fan base? Because I have to be clear, the younger fan base, because this is obviously a show for the younger fan base. And, you know, I think it's safe to say that 
not everything is for you as an older Star Wars right, fan. Right. Yeah. And that and if there is one tragedy of this show mm-hmm. for me personally being a middle-aged man um is that there are several times in every episode where there's a very compl- uh, a very convenient plot contrivance or there's a yeah. very convenient um out of character moment where their motivations don't line up but it works for that particular story mm-hmm. or you've got characters that are saying very, very juvenile, simplistic things. And, you know, there, there is a very, uh, seven, eight year old centric mm-hmm. mentality to the show. And it has to be that way. That's their audience. That's what they're targeting. And ultimately star Wars is for kids. So yeah, you know, <laughs> I just have to accept that. Um, but just to kind of, I, I guess, zero in on your question. Um, I can't say for certain how kids are resonating with Kaz, but my hunch is that kids are probably really digging pretty much everything around Kaz because Kaz has kind of taken on the role of the wide eyed, um, visitor to this place, right? Like Mm -hmm. he, he isn't a hero. He isn't someone you can really like get behind yet and say, oh, well, this guy just kicks butt and he's awesome. And I want to be just like him. Like they're intentionally making him very incompetent and, you know, he can't, he can't even lift the piece of hardware that the girl can lift, you know, like at, at, (laughs) at every turn they're making him, you know, just very pathetic in many ways. Yeah. You know, when it comes right down to it, he gets the job done and he's got a, you know, a can do attitude, but he's not the hero yet. You know, you still got Poe being the hero, but what's really interesting and what I think kids are probably truly identifying with is everyone else. Like, you know, the girl in the high tower, she's a really cool character for young girls. She seems not to be the bratty privileged child of the politician that you would expect her to be, but rather an, uh, an unlikely ally to Kaz. Like she seems like she's probably going to be a hit with a lot of young kids. And then you've got, you know, the, the silliness of the, you know, rogues gallery and the, the comedy of errors of all his friends, um, that he's meeting along the way. All of that to me is way more interesting than Kaz at this point. Yeah. So I'm assuming it has to be that way for kids too. I think they probably like more colorful characters. Yeah. And, and there's one thing that I have been focusing on with Kaz and connecting with the younger audience is that he's kind of starting to remind me of my six-year-old niece a little bit. Okay. Um, so my six-year-old niece, she, uh, she's very funny. She's very entertaining. Um, and she's also learning how to adjust to the situation when her jokes don't go over too well. <laughs> okay. Um, right. She's really learning about, like she's becoming more self-aware. Sure. Uh, and she, and I think that kids have, you know, kids seem to, and me being a teacher, I see this a lot. They seem to focus on failures more than successes in a lot of instances. Sure. And it seems like that Kaz can't, you know, he can't take a break. He can't put something down for two seconds without Poe coming out. What are you doing? Pick it back up. Uh, like those type of things. Um, (laughs) that's just like, so I feel for him and I think that the younger audience may, you know, kind of feel for that. Like, Oh, you know, he's missing all this great stuff that he's doing, but, uh, he keeps getting caught doing the stuff he's not supposed to be doing. Sure. Um, and so if I'm, if I'm really digging there, uh, that's just, that's something that I was thinking about is Mm -hmm. maybe, you know, kids are connecting on that point. Like, oh yeah, this is kind of like me, or maybe, maybe they're learning how to adjust with their jokes. Like my niece is like, just, uh, saying something. No, she laughs and then no one else laughs. She's like, Oh, okay. Maybe that wasn't so funny. Yeah. Now falling um, flat on your face a yeah. few times. That's definitely a life lesson that yep. if, if some kid is particularly smarting from an experience, maybe they see a little bit of that in Kaz. Uh, yeah, I, I, I couldn't 
couldn't fault you for having that analysis. I just wonder if young people who are maybe experiencing that, do they want to see their heroes on the screen? Uh, feeling kind of as insecure and weird and sort of like in between, you know, like too old to be young, too young to be old. Like, do, do they want to see that of, of the heroes on screen? So that's why I wonder if like, is he connecting with them as someone they identify with that they can Mm -hmm. maybe just project themselves into and explore the world with, or do they look to him as the hero in the making? And I just, I'm not seeing the hero in the making enough yet to feel like there's a lot of, there's a whole lot to hang your hat on with that. Yeah. Uh, he's definitely far from what I think his end game is going to sure. be. And that's uh, the whole and, point. They know what they were doing. Yeah. Uh, they, they already learned the lesson on clone wars. You know, you have yes. to let your characters <laughs> go through an arc and if you do it right, they will be beloved. So, yeah. you know, in five years, he might just be the greatest thing in star Wars for all we know. But right now it's still so early in the series that, uh, even though he's not sort of uh, grading on me as much as he was the first few episodes, he still hasn't won me over as the hero that I want to invest in. Yeah. And, and not enough people are watching this show. Like, I feel like that there, there's a huge audience that's missing and maybe that's the new animation format. Maybe people just aren't as invested in something like this, but I mean, but at the same time, it took clone wars a couple of seasons Mm -hmm. for it to really become like a, a, you know, this cult gathering of fans. Um, and so maybe we see that same thing with, uh, with resistance down the road. Um, maybe it gets a huge boost when Disney launches their streaming service. Uh, you know, there's a multiple different things. The nice thing about this is resistance doesn't have the same top down pressure that a network show would have. It doesn't have to perform at a certain time of day against other Mm -hmm. shows selling ads. What they're getting from resistance has a lot more to do with just building out their offering of media Mm -hmm. for the streaming service. So they're not going to be looking to kill it. Even if it's underperforming, they're not going to be quick to say, well, okay, maybe it's not working so great on Disney XD. They know that the long term plan is to have as much in their catalog to offer when they launch the service. And so to have another tentpole show that targets the younger audience and they don't have anything else that I'm aware of that really fills that niche right now, uh, that's still valuable, even if it isn't doing fantastic, you know, first week numbers. Yeah. And you know, who's really grown on me in this show? Niku. Okay. (laughs) Niku. (laughs) Just from that, uh, from the first episode where the uh, you know they turn off the lights on Colossus and then the first orders meeting in the high tower, all those mm-hmm. things. Um, Kaz just looks over at Nico and he's like, "I want like I would like to know what they're doing here." And then Nico's just like, "Oh, okay. Hey, first order, right, right. what are you doing here? My friend would like to know." And it's just it's like, a wonder those... that he hasn't been shot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But it's just so funny. It's like Niku, just as soon as he, and you know, he's trying to be this good friend mm-hmm. um, and he's trying to be helpful. And I think that his motives are there, but he's just taking things um, just so literally that he's just like, hey, first order, my friend Kaz wants to know what you are doing yes. here. Um, he, he's another character in the show that um, just glaringly shouts, this is very much targeted at younger kids mm-hmm. because the comedy that he brings of, having no inner monologue and having no ability to Mm. understand subtlety or sarcasm or whatever. Like everything's just super straightforward to him. And he always just acts with his heart, all of that kind of stuff. Kids can identify very quickly with, and they can see the joke in it. So you can tell Mm -hmm. that he's very much crafted to be the Mm -hmm. comedic relief in a show that is a little too heavy on comedic relief a little bit, at at least for an adult sensibility. Um, he's meant to be the real, like standout point and laugh character. Um, 
So I'm sure that works great for kids. I bet kids just eat it up because he is likable, right? Like this mm-hmm. guy just, he means well, but he's always getting the lead character into trouble. That is a, a funny setup and they're yeah. using it to good effect. So there's a, a lot to like there. If you're young, I just find it another reminder of, I can't wait till we get a little bit of star Wars television that mm-hmm. maybe just pushes more towards the sensibility of a teenager or a young adult. Yeah. That's where I'm going to really kind of, you know, find the material that speaks to me more. Mm-hmm. But I got to say, if we're just going to like pull back and just give our like high level impression of the show, you know, we started talking about what works, what doesn't work six, seven episodes in whatever we are now. Um, this show has really surprised me in its quality, the, the visual style of it, uh, as simplistic as the storytelling is. And as much as it is very youth oriented, they're really Mm. trying to make a good show here. And I respect that. And even though as a older, you know, crotchety star Wars fan, it's a little hard for me to embrace some of the juvenile aspects of it. I watch every episode and Marvel at just how much Lucasfilm and the people involved love the property and really want to Mm -hmm. make everything that they put up on screen special. And I definitely respect it for that. It's quality entertainment. Yeah. It's, yeah. And it's, it's genuinely unique. unique. It's good quality. And the animation in it, even six episodes in, you can tell that they've been fine tuning that style of, Mm -hmm. um, rendering the CG in such a way that it has that cell animation style. Uh, it's still yep. a little too smooth for my liking. Like it's, you, you still feel yeah. the CG ness of it because it, it has more dynamism and, and just, yeah, a, a smoother range of motion than you would get with cell animation. That's somewhere in the mm-hmm. realm of like, you know, 12 frames a second interpolated. It's got yeah. a little bit more of a clunky feel to it. Um, so it, it hasn't quite captured it a hundred percent, but I don't think they want to. I think they still want yeah. you know, the, the space flight stuff to be really smooth and dynamic and mm-hmm. CG ish. Um, but mm-hmm. they've come a long way. They're finding how to balance the shadows and, and the line strokes and everything to give it just a, a more cell anime feel. And, uh, it gets better every week I feel like they're just really yeah. fine tuning that look and it's great. It really is great. Well, even the acting is getting better. Um, I feel like that in the first episode, it was a little, uh, the acting definitely felt very sure. uh, piloty. Yeah, this um, is where now, it feels um, more sure-footed now. Yeah. Everyone kind of understands exactly. their characters a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then especially Poe, like you bring mm-hmm. Oscar Isaac back in there, and this guy, he knows Poe like the back of his hand. Mm-hmm. Like Oscar Isaac, just it does so well. Uh, I was, I was kind of just like, oh, this is gonna be weird seeing you know a live action character on animation being voiced by the same actor because we haven't quite got that yet. Um, and so being voiced by the actor who plays the live action, um, it's, it's great. I love it. I love every scene with Poe in it. I think that Poe's, uh, chemistry with Kaz is great. Um, it's, and, and they play a lot to the comedic factor in there, but it feels more, uh, that comedy feels more natural than what it did in the, uh, in the pilot, like Mm -hmm. in the pilot, Kaz was a little too like, like falling over himself, all those type of things. We Um, get a a much more star Warsy feel of their relationship and where the moments of humor are kind of like what you would have seen between Han and, and Luke, you know, yeah, you know, uh, one's kind of struggling to keep up a little bit or maybe not quite as worldly wise. And there's a, there's a, a bit of comedy that they find in that. Uh, so in this last episode in particular, you see a lot of that as they're just running for their yeah. lives and just trying to make it up as they go. Kind of a thing that feels very star Warsy. And there's some comedy in there that feels spot on for what you would want from this kind of a show. Yeah. Yeah. Well, are there any other characters that you want to touch on before we get into some of these speculations? Um, 
Well, no, because they didn't really dwell on a whole lot of the other characters. I mean, we we meet Hype Faison, who yep. we know is Donald Faison, um, yep. <laughs> who I've loved for a long time, like all, all the way back to Clueless, I guess, like when yep. I was a, a teenager. He was always uh, just a, a fantastic actor at, at just being like cool and snarky. And you just he was the kind of guy you wanted to be. So yep. for them to cast him as, yes, the ace pilot, he's got the inn mm-hmm. in the high tower and, you know, like he knows the lay of the land. He's cool. He's yeah. got it all figured out. Uh, plays it well, plays it really well. Yeah. Uh, also loved him on Scrubs. Got to give a shout out to Scrubs because that was oh, my yeah. show back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Scrubs is great. Um, him and that is also amazing. And so I was, I was surprised when, uh, when they first announced this a couple months back that he was coming onto the show. I'm just like, mm-hmm. oh, this is going to make it you know, they are going really interesting with Star Wars Resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's why the the audience isn't doing so great because it is so different from anything we've gotten before. Be. Um, and, and you know, the hype around the Clone Wars coming back may be somewhat affecting the hype of Resistance. But uh, I think that if we, if we look at it like, this is different, this is something new we haven't gotten before. We're exploring places that we've never explored in the, uh, the trilogy, the prequels, or the new sequels. Um, which I think is where they're succeeding the most is exploring these new areas. Mm-hmm. Um, even though we've spent most of our time on Colossus, that's still a new area. We're seeing um, themes of the Clone Wars with the pirates, you know, because mm-hmm. the Clone Wars kind of introduced these idea of of pirates in space. I would suggest um, that and, maybe a new hope introduced the idea of pirates. Yeah. In space, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> but I know it, it, was, it was for, it was far more implicit <laughs> yes. with as uh, far as star Wars uh, television it. goes, they leaned heavily into that yes. aspect of the galaxy. No yeah. doubt. And like just, actually called them pirates and yeah. all these sort of things. Just had and, to bust uh, your chops a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we got, uh, you know, that, that whole thing that's, that's going into this interesting exploration where they're showing this is still a part of the universe mm. and you're going to get themes of that. Yep. And even though it, it is very, kid you know this the younger audience centric there are some things in there that we could watch like when they talk about kylo ren Mm -hmm. like we know that they are threatened by this person who has this weird red laser sword Mm -hmm. um and i'm curious to see what all of the damage that we're gonna explore that kylo ren has done um in the show now that's that's the big question so were those kids kind of a, a one-off episode in that they just were kind of the MacGuffin for that, you know, something to chase for one episode? Or do you think they're trying to set us up for a story thread where we're going to explore further what the motivations were for the First Order to go mm-hmm. and devastate their village? And, yeah. uh, you know, like, is there more there or was it just to give you a sense that, oh, the First Order, they're bad dudes, they're covering it up so that the galaxy at large doesn't find out. Um, and then these kids are just a loose end. Yeah. You know, like, is it, is it just meant to evoke what we already know about the first order from seeing like, you know, the, 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 the raid on Jakku, you know, like mm-hmm. you can almost see these kids in that scene, right? Like right. they're the, they're the kids yes. that run out of the town before everyone gets fired on or mm-hmm. whatever. Like, so it, was it just them trying to hearken back to kind of what we already understand about the first order or are they setting up a larger story? We don't know that yet. Um, yeah. I think it would be cool if they did. I'd like to see this show, um, begin to build multi-episode threads and arcs yep. that are going to make it a little bit more rich. Cause right now it is sort of a, you know, mission of the week kind of a yeah. show, which isn't yeah, as satisfying. I don't, I don't know. I I'm leaning really heavily that this idea, like that, that whole, uh, this whole child episode was not just this little like thing that we're just going to chase for the episode and then um, not ever revisit again. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I think that there are, we've always known that Kylo Ren was menacing from the very first time we saw him in the preview and his right. mask and hood. 
but I think I think this show is going to explore some more of that. Um, I think we're going to at least hear stories like we heard in this one about things that Kylo Ren is doing on the outs and things that the First Order is doing. Yep. Um, and, and I think eventually, I don't know if it'll be in Resistance or if they're even building up to something that they're going to reveal in Episode 9, uh, but I think we're definitely going to see what the First Order has done um, to get some more of these ideas because, you know, this is pre-Hosnian um, Prime, so right. they haven't even done their biggest damage yet. Um, and that's where the show is going, and I think Season 1 is going to go... Originally, I thought like the series finale was going to be them destroying Hosnian Prime, but I think that's going to happen here pretty soon. Um, I think something's going to happen with Poe. He's going to be like, oh, I got to go off and do this thing. Um, I mean, maybe not like, you know, I, I think it's going to happen before the this, uh, the season premiere. Uh Season finale. Season finale. Yeah. Uh, could be. I mean, who who knows? That's pure speculation at this point. We know that they said the show was starting out roughly six months before the events mm-hmm. of Force Awakens, which is Hosnian Prime getting yeah. destroyed. Um, so Kaz has been there at least a month at this point, right? Like he's had yeah. enough time to get the lay of the land, do a few races, have a few adventures, a few storms, mm-hmm. a few pirates. I mean, it, <laughs> he's definitely been there <laughs> a while now. Yeah. Um, so we're we're marching towards that, but they could drag that out for a while. The, the yeah. actual speed that the show progresses through real time, like they can do whatever they want with that. If, if they yeah. have a reason to hold it back, they'll hold it back. We've still got another potentially five months of adventure to get through before we have to cross that bridge. Um, that's, that's up to the storytellers. They'll figure yeah. it out. Hopefully whatever they do is memorable. Uh, I think yeah. you might be onto something though, that because this is kind of a backwater planet close to the, um, uncharted or the unknown regions. I don't know why can't remember the terminology. Um, I wonder if this is kind of a opportunity to build out a bit of the canon about what the first order was doing that obviously Leia was wise to, and obviously, right. you know, she was trying to ring the alarm bells, but the Republic at large wanted to keep their head in the sand and believe that they were mm-hmm. kind of benign and we're going to stay in their, yep. you know, sector or whatever. Um, so I wonder if this is going to help paint the picture of, no, they were a legitimate menace. So, mm-hmm. you know, every, we obviously yeah. understand that the fan in, uh, the force awakens, cause they, you know, blow up the galaxy, but, uh, up to that point, we would understand why Leia was having so much trouble getting traction with the resistance. Mm-hmm. So if this can yep. build out that backstory a bit, um, sure. Great. Why not? Yeah. Well, and, and something else that's leading me in there is, uh, one of Poe's quotes in this last episode was he was telling Kaz, he's like, you know, the resist, cause you know, Kaz is asking questions about the resistance getting more involved and, and, uh, Poe basically says, we, like he says something along the lines that when people need help, we show up. Right. Right. Um, and, and so what I think that that's more so leading to is that the children is, cause that's like two episodes in a row that we have this instance of you help, know, help little storylines. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And helping where help is needed. Uh, and obviously Poe is taking his orders straight from Leia. Um, I don't think he's really taking any other orders sure. into consideration that much. Uh, and so I think that it's going to play a little more into that. And I think we're mm-hmm. going to see what the first order was doing, um, behind the scenes before the force awakens and, um, leading up to that point. And, uh, it, maybe it won't be, you know, it may not be like a, a multi episode focus, but I think that we're going to see some more of that here and there. At least I think we're going to hear stories uh, like maybe. we did. Like, like it was like a 30 second shout out to Kylo Ren basically. Yeah. See, um, I, so I have little things like that. I have kind of a more trivial read on Poe basically saying, you know, uh, 
doesn't matter. We're going to go help because that's what yeah. we do. We're the good guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's just the show telegraphing that, hey, get ready for a lot more of these standalone episodes because mm-hmm. there's only so yeah. much overarching plot that we can delve into in the next six months. So there's going to be a lot of fuzzy animals that mm-hmm. need saving and kids that need saving. And, you know, like yeah. there's going to be a lot of that filler races to yeah. be had, that kind of stuff. I think that's all that was. I don't think that, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't think that we could read into it much beyond that. If we get a lot more first order stuff, I'll be excited because you know, that's the stuff mm-hmm. we want to see. We want to see the menace grow and the stakes raise. You want to see that building towards what we know starts happening in the sequel trilogy. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't think that they're going to go overboard with it. I think this yeah. is going to stay mostly in the realm of the adventure of the week kind of format. Yeah. Just because yeah, again, I think the age group, I think that's kind of what you have to cater to. Yeah. And we have a theme with the pirates kind of being paid off by the uh, first order mm-hmm. sort of thing. And we might see little things like that where uh, we are going to do these little rescue missions going and helping people, not knowing what the real problem is. But then the episode ends and we are like, oh, hey, the crimson pilot guy is behind all right. of this. Yeah, uh, you do get those little cliffhangers and those little... Um yeah, those little twists and reveals along the way. They are doing that. They are they are keeping yep. some sort of an overarching story progression happening. It's just very minor in the grand scheme of yep. the episode. You know, it's not till the last line of the last episode that we find out that the girl that they rescued was actually one of the pirates and now she's positioned mm-hmm. in Cyclosis to be a rogue agent. So yep. that was 30 seconds of the episode. And I think that's what you get. Yeah. You know, the last minute of the episode is going to uh, help build the intrigue for the next yeah. episode, but I don't see them really going heavy on the serialized nature of the show because yeah. kids need to be able to pop in and out of this as their of homework schedule will permit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's why I don't give homework, yeah. uh, but <laughs> it interferes with your star Wars watching. Though. Exactly. That's yours why I and your students. students yes. <laughs> exactly. I'm more concerned about mine, yeah. but that, you know, uh, but I think that, I think what people got used to with the Clone Wars, once Clone Wars got into like season three, there Mm -hmm. were some big reveals that impacted the Star Wars saga entirely. You know, things like Darth Maul coming back. Uh, Some big reveals regarding Sidious and his his leadership of Dooku and Mm -hmm. Dooku and his leadership of all these other characters. And so I think that maybe... fans might be thinking a little too much about that as far as that maybe resistance is going to follow the lead with mm-hmm. that. And I don't think so. I don't think we're going to yeah, get yeah. any big reveals in resistance like we did in clone wars. And See, Rebels. that's, that's where expectation can start to short circuit all this. You have to exactly. remember that they're different shows, they yep. have different audiences, different tones they They serve different purposes. And even though mm-hmm. Lucasfilm is obviously trying to make a quality show with resistance, mm-hmm. I don't think that they're trying to shoot as high. Because I think they understand the big story beats, the big stuff that Mm -hmm. becomes canon that that's going to resonate with the larger audience. They can't feed that out to just one small subset of their audience, you know, just the eight year olds. They have to make sure Mm -hmm. that that's something that can be digested by everyone. So I, I I feel like the big moments are still going to be held back for the bigger properties. And I feel like this is, this is going to stay around the fringes and stay a little more low stakes. That said, if they do pull a clone wars and we continue to see things escalate in a few years down the road. We're looking back saying, man, what a ride. Great. I, I, I wouldn't fault them for it. I just, I don't think that that's what they're building this show for. I think this show seems mm-hmm. to be built squarely to be a fun star Wars adventure of the week yeah. for the young kids after school type fair. 
Yeah, and I think that the story that the the show also formed from certain conversations that happened at Lucasfilm. Like, oh, what if we told this story and people were like, ah, we don't really have anything that that really fits into, or mm. we can't really fit something like into that into, you know, we can't waste time in Force Awakens to explain these different things here. We can't take that time and use that yeah, in yeah. Episode Eight here. Um, and so I think that they just had all this information that they wanted to tell. But one, it may have not been as serious enough. Like, not there may have not been as high risk in some of these stories. Maybe they're just like, well, what if we go through with creating yeah. a show for our younger audience that we can tell these stories that they still want to tell? Yeah, there's something to uh, that. Like, generally speaking, swirling around the the, um, you know, they have a department at Lucasfilm, the the story group mm-hmm. that tries to keep tabs on the larger lore mm-hmm. and help feed right. that into the different properties that they develop. Um. So yeah, there's gotta be something to that because they're constantly taking notes and documenting and, and you know, when JJ Abrams and Kazan were fleshing out the force awakens, they were coming up with backstory beats that they were going to refer yep. to. So you did need to establish, okay, well, what is the mm-hmm. resistance and what is the first order? And you know, why, you know, how did they come ac- build star killer base and what was their end game with it? Like all that stuff you needed to understand why Leia was on the outs yep. with the Republic. Like all oh, that, yeah. all that stuff, all that canon was there in the story group long before it fed its way into novels and all the other yeah. stuff that began to, to build it out. So of course they have reams and reams of other tidbits that they want yeah. to sprinkle into all their properties and resistance is going to get its fair share, but yeah. it's, there's a reason why Colossus is on the edge of the known galaxy. It's because mm-hmm. it, it can't be in the fray. It can't be in the middle of yep. the adventure. It has to be in the periphery. And so that's the kind of stuff that we're getting at this point. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing that this show offers on a week-to-week basis, and even uh, even though it's not necessarily mentioned each week, is that the First Order is out there. Right. And that people are not considering how menacing and how dangerous the First Order is. They're kind of writing them off, right? Yeah. Like, uh, especially on Colossus. Like, there's people, like, when they hear about the First Order, they're just like, oh, who cares about all that? Like, what, yeah. like, what even, are they going to do? They're just, even the, they're just the some, captain. Captain Doza yep. gives them a free pass. He doesn't see them so much as a threat as just, you know, one more unscrupulous organization Mm -hmm. in a galaxy full of unscrupulous organizations. Nobody sees that there's going to be a big chess move in a few months. And that's, well, there there's one person that sees it. Well, yes, And I think that's important. And and I think that that's like, I think that's what the show is doing a good job of is showing that Leia is out there and she. Yes. Is aware of things that's going on. And she knows that, you know what, this first order, they're a bigger threat than what we think. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, because that's why, that's why Hosnian prime is so devastating is like people kind of wrote off the first order as like, Oh, and you know, this terrible thing can't happen. Oh, guess what? We have a bigger weapon than the death star. All right. And they're, they're telegraphing the first order's nature by showing that they're pulling the strings of the pirates and they have all sorts Mm -hmm. of sinister incognito agents that they're able to maneuver to win the sympathies or, or just, you know, win the allegiance of whatever they're, they're after in this case, Colossus. So we know we, we are seeing a bit more of the first order mm-hmm. and getting a clear picture of, of how they were operating pre Starkiller base. Um, yeah, I just, I, I, I just don't know how heavy they're going to go on that. I think what yeah. we're seeing now where it is maybe one minute of an overall episode is devoted to furthering the plot of what the first order is all about. I think that's what we're going to be seeing for most of the season. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree with that. Yeah. Um, well, if you don't have anything else, I'd like to close with, uh, a theory that I, that has come into my, uh, that I have not that I've come up with myself, but something that I've heard and I think is an well, entertaining one. We wouldn't be star Wars fans <laughs> if we didn't dabble in speculation. So what do you, what do you got? All right. So 
with this talk about there being a first order spy somewhere, yeah, one of the names that I've seen come up more than any other one. It's not Captain Doza. It's not you know things like Cam. It's not even Yeager. Even though I think Yeager might be, no. uh, I I don't know. <laughs> like, what if he's just this he guy who the lost everything? He lost from- his family. No, they they. They're painting a very clear picture of yeah. him as having a heart of gold. This show is not sophisticated well, what if, enough. What if to... he just flips it all no, on no. us? Uh, Remember your audience. No. Remember your yeah. audience. Exactly. But the biggest one, the thing that I chuckled at when I heard it, was that people are suspecting Nico as yeah. the, the first order spy. Now, again, you know, you got to know your audience, right? <laughs> if this show was that sophisticated, great. But with an eight-year-old audience, if you're going to pull that you know, pull the rug out from under them. You need to telegraph it. There has to be moments where he's on the far side of a wall, listening in on something with a menacing. Right. Look on his like exactly. You, you have to establish that a little bit so that people are wondering what his true motivations are. He is comic relief. It, it'd be, yep. it's like, it's like the people that say that Jar Jar was the Jar ultimate Jar, mastermind. Yeah. I was just, I was just about to bring that up. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like that's, that's great. People will assume that every star Wars character is also some other star Wars character. You know, there's a theory for every character in the universe. No, it's, it's not a thing. It, it can't be a thing. Not on, <laughs> not on a show like this. It's not sophisticated enough. They've already shown how deep they want to go with the storytelling and they're keeping it very accessible and very basic for a good reason. So no, we're yeah. not going to get that kind of a double cross this early in the show, not with what they've already been establishing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I I'm personally agree. thumbs downing that particular theory, but hey, fun speculation. If it yeah. happens, you know what? All the internet points to you. Oh, exactly. Like that would be so <laughs> funny if that happened. Like people would just be losing their minds. So now, th- then it would it would feed more into the weight that Jar Jar is really the Sith Master sure. that the Jedi have been looking it for. It would feel like Lucasfilm they... is trolling you at that point. Like, yeah, you, exactly. you guys want a really dumb reveal? You think Star Wars is just all about Here the dumb reveals? Yeah, here's the dumbest of all the dumb reveals. Yeah, that'd be too cynical, though. You know, like I just, yeah. uh, no, Star Wars fans, come on, <laughs> just yeah, enjoy the show for what it is. It's not, it's not exactly, tr- it's not uh, trying to dig that deep. But do you think we've met the first order spy yet? It's a good question. I mean, we've seen a lot of ruffians in and around the bar and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, I, unless it's hype phasing, I don't think we have yeah. because well, he he I, seems like very quick to show that he doesn't like the first order, like under his breath, yep. he's always, he's making comments about like, mm-hmm. oh, these guys are around, oh, I steer clear of them or whatever. So, yep. I mean, if he was a really good spy, that's the persona that he would want to yep. project. So if it was going to be anyone that we've already seen on screen, uh, my money would be on him, but I don't yeah, think, it, I don't I, think it really matters. I, I wouldn't right. be a hundred percent sure that Lucasfilm even knows. I bet they have yeah, right? <laughs> half a dozen storylines ready to go when they launch the show. And then it becomes a little more episodic. I don't think that this mm-hmm. is like a, a breaking bad situation where the whole series is es- essentially understood from the get go. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't think they've mapped out all of the plot points. Well, and for me, the reason I th- I'm leaning towards hype, if I'm speculating and I think we've met him already, mm-hmm. uh, the resistance spy that is, I don't think we've got any like really positive vibes from hype, right? Like I, I liked him, but I just like the character, the right. actor who's playing him. So I just liked him immediately. Yeah. Like, oh, but, there he is. But we haven't got any like this is a good guy. Like with Nico, right. we get that he's extremely intelligent to the point that he takes everything literally, but everything he does has a positive motive behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get uh, Yeager, who obviously has a lot of weight in this battle and is this mentor and is like, yeah, Poe, I'll, you know, help protect this guy and help him with this whole thing. Uh, Tam, we got this, you know, daughtery, 
figure to <laughs> Yeager. Uh, but the only one that we really haven't got like a positive like vibes from in a sense is hype. So yeah, no, just, you do get a little bit curious. of a, I'm um, out for myself kind of thing. Like I'm, I'm enjoying mm-hmm. my time here because I'm, I'm kind of, you know, the cool guy and I'm just breezing yep. through life here as, as an awesome pilot. Like I can see why maybe because he doesn't have much skin in the game, maybe it's not a big deal to him to right. play both sides or whatever. Like they, they could certainly explore that. And I think that's the most realistic mm-hmm. person at this point that we could point to. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I personally am not overly concerned with it. I just enjoy yeah. seeing some X-Wings fly around every now and again, a few pew pew laser battles. <laughs> yeah. Well, for our listeners, Star Wars Resistance airs every Sunday, right? Or is that just when it drops for me? Uh, I think it's Sundays. Yeah, I believe it's Sunday yeah. mornings that it, it actually comes mm-hmm. out on XD. Um, but yep. we obviously get it later off of whatever streaming mm-hmm. services or not yeah, streaming so, services, uh, but download services. If you have any download services like Hulu, uh, Sling TV, you can get all the reruns. Uh, you could also watch those on live on Hulu, Live TV, Sling Live, uh, those type of things. But every Sunday, I would say give this show a shot. Start watching it. Contribute to the great things that are coming out of Lucasfilm so that we can continue to get great things out of Lucasfilm. Here's how I look at it. It's 22 minutes long. We have nothing else going on right now. Oh yeah. You know, we're waiting on a lot of announcements. We're waiting on a lot of productions to ramp up. We got another year and uh, two months until episode nine drops and we're not going to be seeing the Mandalorian until sometime next year. So, Hey, do you really not have 22 minutes to just kick back with some lighthearted star Wars fare that, you know, might actually get you grinning. If you can just kind of let yourself go and get back into kid mode for a few minutes, you might, might have a little bit of fun with it and get your, minor fixes of the trappings of the larger star Wars universe with the first yeah. order intrigue and all the rest of it. It's there's enough there that, Hey, I'm an adult. I consider myself a, a reasonably balanced individual. If I can find something, you know, worthwhile. Yeah. In it, I don't think I'm such an extreme star Wars fan that I'm the outlier here. I think most star Wars mm-hmm. fans, if, if they don't go into it with, you know, expectations that this is the second coming of the clone wars or something, yeah, then it'll be just fine. It'll be an enjoyable yeah. 22 minutes that you can kick back on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> That's what we do. Uh, and, <laughs> and we get some more Poe, but most importantly, we get some more BB eight. Yes. Who doesn't love BB eight? Oh, on. you know what? I know we're running a little <laughs> long, but I gotta, I gotta just point out again, these, the plot contrivances of it. Everybody loves BB eight. How are we going to keep mm-hmm. him in the show? There's no justifiable reason to leave him there. Poe leaves right. him there anyways. On this episode, they bring in yeah. a second BB unit that is yep. assigned <laughs> to Kaz. And for whatever reason, they take back the no name, you know, pink bot and send mm-hmm. BB-8 back with Kaz. It makes no sense. They they don't yeah. even try to justify it with like a one-off line of like BB-8. Yeah. You know what? You're the real spy here. Like keep a tabs on Kaz, help him out. But mm-hmm. you're the one that's really gathering intelligence. Like if, if they gave him some weightier reason to be there, then we wouldn't question it. But as it stands, yeah. it's just such an obvious, uh, pandering <laughs> to yeah. the youth that, that watch the show that I find mm-hmm. that almost the most challenging thing about the show is I love BB-8. Yeah. He's a fun character. It's cool to watch him flirt with think droid there when yep. he saves her and has a little moment to, you know, <laughs> strut, yep, um, <laughs> you know, like they, they have a lot of fun with him, but it makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, we get a whole like minute long conversation between the two droids. Yeah. He has a little back and forth. Like- <laughs> Kaz is on the brink of, of being slain and, and he's just, yeah, yeah. He's just strutting. You're- showing off um fun moment but uh, the only the biggest quibble i think i have with the show at this point aside from kaz maybe not being the lead that i would have written had it been me Mm -hmm. is 
why is BB-8 there? That, that just yeah. doesn't make sense. He's the movies established him as Poe's trusty sidekick, the R2, mm-hmm. you know, the, you would never leave him behind for any yeah. reason. Like Poe should feel like naked without him in his ex. Oh yeah. Well, and he does like we get that on force awakens. Whenever yeah, yeah. he sees BB-8, he's like, goes up and hugs him. And he's like, right. fan, you brought back my droid. Yeah, yeah. Like you. And, uh, and then he goes, you completed my mission. But right. like his first thing was you brought back my droid. And so it's just this. <laughs> yeah. And you find out in this that he just nonchalantly abandons yeah, BB-8 just for him. six months for yeah. a seemingly no good reason. <laughs> uh, but whatever, it's a show for kids. You gotta, yep. you gotta take it for what it is. And if you do, there's still a lot of fun stuff going on here. Yeah. Well, you can find us on Twitter <laughs> at Star Wars TV Talk. You can check out our website, www.starwarstvtalk.com. You can find myself on Twitter at ZachLogan32 on the Twitter web. John, what, where can they find you and what shows are you doing? Um, I don't have a personal Twitter because I think Twitter is a, you know, a, a cesspool of miscreants that <laughs> I do not want to be anywhere near, but, um, that's not true. There's a lot of nice people on Twitter, but unfortunately the loudest voices on Twitter as of late tend to be are not the nice people. <laughs> yeah, not always the nice <laughs> so I avoid Twitter as much as I can, but I do have a Twitter account associated with my other labor of love podcast, which is SNL after party. Um, and so on Twitter, I'm at SNL podcast and on all other social media, I'm also at SNL podcast. Um, that's my other show. That's, uh, what I spend way too much time each week preparing and producing and (laughs) editing. Uh, so if anyone wants to check that out, I'm always happy to have more SNL comedy nerds in the fold to, to chat about SNL once a week. Uh, good season right now with SNL. So if there are any fans out there that are enjoying it, know that we're enjoying it too. And, uh, we'd love to have you pop in on our review. Uh, we usually drop them Tuesday afternoons. Yeah. And star Wars TV talk is a dual network podcast. The first network is the TV talk network where you can find a number of after show podcasts like Flash TV Talk, Supergirl TV Talk, Legends TV Talk, uh, Starkville House of L, and some more, like, <laughs> coming up soon. They're launching more DC television right. podcasts. Yeah, the kids, uh, right? Robin and yeah. Co. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and so all of these type of things. And next, uh, we are a part of the Real Geeks Podcast Network. For more information about Real Geeks, you can visit realgeeks.net. Thank you so much for listening, and may the Force be with you, always. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of podcasts that discuss critically acclaimed films. But what about the ones that were destroyed by critics via Rotten Tomatoes? Well, Certified Rotten is a real geeks podcast that features an entertaining group of film fanatics that discuss those rotten films and whether or not they deserve to be rotten. You can find Certified Rotten wherever you get your podcasts or at realgeeks.net slash shows. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to Star Wars TV Talk wherever you get your podcasts. Are the people going to die? Please leave us a review on iTunes. For every 10, we give away some awesome Star Wars merchandise. And you can find us on Twitter at Star Wars TV Talk and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Star Wars TV Talk. You can also check out our website, www.starwarstvtalk.com. And 
A special thanks to Laid Wogan for this intro and outro music. You can follow him on soundcloud.com slash Wogan. Thanks for listening, and remember, the Force will be with you. Always.